we walk this life as we see the things going on, good things, bad things, controversial things, we can, we still know that you love us. And uh, even when we have sinned, even when we have messed up, Lord, we come back to the reality that you love us. And through your great work and grace, we are forgiven. Your, your grace covers all our sin. So we thank you, Lord. And we know it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but you have saved us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for our dear friends and, and church family here. And be with those who are not with us today. And we ask, Lord, that you would guide us in our study this morning of your word as we look to the Old Testament again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, um, so we probably, Friday afternoon, we decided to go to the, the lake and the boat ran pretty good, our 83 bay liner, but... We had another problem. If it ain't one thing, it's another, right? But we decided to go to Maloney out there. And about Strasburg Hill on the, on the west side of that, we thought something kind of flew up from underneath the hood, you know. It's like, and I was, so I look at all the gauges. And I, said, I talked to Dandy and the girls. And I said, well, all the gauges say we're all right. So we just kept going. We got to 83 Junction and... The belt started squealing. I'm like, oh, that's probably what it was. It was parts of the belt coming off. The belt's about gone. We better pick up a belt in town when we get there. So we did. And so we get out the lake. So I went to change the belt. Well, I found the reason. Here's one of the idler bearings. It was in pieces. And I'm surprised we got to the lake. And they didn't have to sit on the side of the road in the heat. And, you know, we, we try to look things over, right? Especially in, in agricultural communities, are, and, and whether you are or not when you travel to work, it's good to have a general idea of what's going on with your vehicle and kind of try to keep things maintained, look them over. And I looked the belt over before, but I knew it's been getting older. It didn't look cracked or anything. But anyway, I missed this, you know. I missed the bearing going out. I had thought, well, after I changed the oil, you know, did I put the wrong oil in? It sounds a little loud. Well, it was this bearing. <laughs> I, didn't, I was too busy to look, right? I was too busy. It's important for us to try to maintain things. You guys know that. You know, when I was, I mowed a lot of prairie hay in my, my day um, at Mildell. Three months worth <laughs> of prairie hay. And then in the winter, you know, you're feeding hay, so you got to maintain your equipment. And uh, if you don't, you're probably going to, well, you usually end up broke down one time or another, sometime or another anyway, right? But we do the best we can to try to maintain things so that we don't have these problems come up. And I want to challenge you this morning that you do not remain kind of casual or laid back on maintaining your relationship with Jesus Christ. Our walk with Christ is essential. Especially when things are going well, we could say, oh, it's, o it's okay. But we need to make sure we're taking every precaution that we're ready for when things do go bad. Because it will go bad, right? 
It will go wrong. And, and so, you know, that was an easy fix. It didn't take very long. And praise the Lord, we were at the lake instead of on the side of the road. But, you know, when, if something could go wrong, it will go wrong, especially if you're in a hurry. <laughs> I think most of us are in, in, in these occupations where we understand that. But we want to be ready. We want to be prepared to do what we need to do. And so the question this morning is, are you ready? And you're like, okay, so now we have the title here of, in the series. I want to talk about Elijah here in the next few weeks. Not next week. We've got a lot going on next week. But the prophet Elijah, and he came from out of nowhere. And as we look at Elijah, I, I just want to challenge you I believe the Word of God encourages us to be prepared and to be prepared to substantively proclaim that the Lord, He is God. And this word substantively means important, meaningful, considerable. That is, that we should understand that we can make a huge impact that at key and crucial times in history, God has had people. And at key and crucial p- times, he will use his followers. And the question is, are you ready? Are you? It is crucial that, that we, as a people, be prepared. That is, we should be ready for whatever the Lord has in store for us by clinging to him And so we're going to walk through three lessons for today that challenge us to be prepared. And if you missed last Sunday, there's some key key truths that I think that were important that I wanted to highlight in preparation. And we're going to go over some of those, but you can catch up on those uh, on the website. But the first lesson challenges us not to be apathetic in our walk with the Lord. And so I want to challenge you that... um, Spiritual regression preys upon the apathetic. It preys upon. Uh, somebody was asking me, and I forget who it was, they were asking me, well, what would chew through a hose in a specific way, a garden hose? Was that any, somebody in here? So we started talking about, you know, well, it couldn't be this. It, I said, well, usually it was my dogs that cho- chewed through my garden hoses. I said, no, it had, it had different teeth marks. Would a gopher do that? Um, that's frustrating when something preys upon your garden hose, right? And you have to fix it. We could get a bigger picture of prey upon where we watch those old uh, wildlife videos where the cheetah's chasing down the gazelle, you know. Because there we've got speed. We like to see speed, don't we? But the idea here is being preyed upon. And we think of that passage in 1 Peter where Satan or the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking those he may devour. And that's what you need to have here in your mind is when we're apathetic, we're easily preyed upon. Okay? Spiritual regression. And regression is that falling away, that slow fade. But we need to understand a slow fade can be a quick ride. 
Like, what? <laughs> a slow fade can be a quick ride. That is, we think it's a slow fade, and maybe it is, but when the end hits, when the consequences come, it's quick. Correct? For cowboys out there, it's not the falling off that hurts. It's a sl- sudden stop at the end. Okay? It comes quick. And so we need to understand that even if our culture over 20, 40, 50, 100 years have been turning away from the Lord, now we see it's happening quick, that there's some consequences that are hitting us hard. And so back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, remember we were in 1 Kings last week, and again, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message because there's some interesting parallels with the false gods that they were worshiping. So we come here and we look at this passage in 1 Kings chapter 11, and I want you to look specifically at verse 3, and we're going to look at 3, we're going to look at verse 4, we're going to look at verse 9, a little bit of a repeat from last week, and verse 3 it says, he had 700 wives. Now we're talking about King Solomon, remember uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 is Solomon's spiritual bankruptcy, 2 Samuel chapter what? 11 is David's spiritual bankruptcy, okay? Chapter 11, bankruptcy. Okay, spiritual bankruptcy. So chapter 11, verse 3, Solomon here, he had 700 wise princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives, what's the key point here? His wives turned his heart away. Away from what? Following the Lord, from loving the Lord. Look at verse 4. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away. After what? After other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord, his God. As the heart of David, his father had been. Now David had sinned. Praise the Lord for Nathan and his repentance. Then we come to verse 9. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. I think that's key as well. But we're not looking at Solomon. I want you to see this slow fade as a quick ride. Solomon, yeah, it's a lot of years. But Solomon, then what happens next? But notice there, Solomon even had the Lord Lord appear to him twice. He had enough reason to follow the Lord and stay firmly committed to the Lord. We also talked about Rehoboam and Jeroboam last last week. Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Jeroboam, who, who went with the northern tribes. Israel, the ten tribes of the north. And Jeroboam, he, he became king around 931 B.C. And remember that he placed two golden calves in Israel. I read something a little bit different, and, and I've read a few commentators that said, well, it wasn't that different then. It was just a slow fade, really. That is, they weren't necessarily worshiping the golden calves. They believed God invisibly rode on these golden calves. Oh, <laughs> there's a slight stipulation here. It's not really worshiping the golden calves. But later it was, well, what's the difference, right? Interesting how they can reason things, if that's truly what happened. That they were still worshiping the God of the Bible, Yahweh. 
But he became king in 931. He set up these golden calves because he didn't want them to go to the southern kingdom to worship the Lord. And he broke the commandment, right, to not make any images or false gods. Now, the last king of Israel was Hosea from 732 to 722, reigning nine years and still not fully following God. You could, if you want to, write down 2 Kings 17, verse 2 through 6. And verse 6 says, three of those years, the city of Samaria was besieged. So he reigned nine years, but the last three, they were besieged there at Samaria. So the northern tribes, he was a king of the northern tribes of Israel. Throughout their time, they continued to turn away from the Lord. How many years is 722 from, or 732 even, from 932 or 31? So around 200 years, right? Isn't that a long time? It is but it isn't. They could have had a kingdom that lasted a lot longer. And amidst their time, really, they're not any worse under the Assyrian Empire's reign. Oh, yes, they were conquered, destroyed, (laughs) taken captive. Well, they had evil kings throughout. But not only do we want to see that we need to be cautious because the slow fade really can have quick consequences. But also, would you click the slide for me? Also, that the slow fade was extremely destructive. And so when we come back to 1 Kings, and, and, and we can say, well, yes, they were destroyed 200 years, they existed, and they were conquered by the Syrians. It was very destructive. But notice for families within and the dynasties for each king. 1 Kings chapter 16. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 16, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha, saying, Inasmuch as I exalted you from the dust and made you leader over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam. So he continued to do the same thing Jeroboam was doing, and have made my people Israel sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. Behold, I will consume Basha and his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So what we find here is just another king who is still doing evil. And so it affects his family and his dynasty, even his friends. And here, prophet Jehu, he proclaimed this judgment in verse 11 and 12. Look at these verses here. See what happens. It came about when he became king, as soon as he sat on his throne, that he killed. So the next king, Zimri, became king. As soon as he became king, he sat on his throne that he killed all the household of Basha, and he did not leave a single male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Basha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Basha through Jehu the prophet for all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah his son, which they had sinned and which they had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord of Israel, God of Israel, to anger with their idols. It was destructive for him. It was destructive for his family. It was destructive for his friends. It was destructive 
for the people of Israel. Keep your finger in 1 Kings. Let's go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. So we see this in the Old Testament, right? What about us? What about the New Testament? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I want you to see that it can be destructive for us if we turn our eyes away from the Lord, if we allow the slow fade, a slow fade in our own personal lives, in the lives of, our, of the people in our church, and the lives of our community, the lives of our nation. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so is the Word of God, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. So, he's saying, hey, this is the Word of God. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Do not be apathetic in regards to the proclamation of the Word, in regards as people that... Let's not be apathetic. In season, out of season. Good times, bad times. March forward following the Word of God, growing in your relationship and your spiritual maturity. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, (laughs) rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Yes, this is to Timothy, but understand, we all have a part to play. God has called us into service. We're to follow Him. Be ready. Endure the hard times. Press forward. Do the work of an evangelist. Because a slow fade can be extremely destructive. So how do you prepare to significantly proclaim the greatness of the Lord? And I submit to you that that what the Bible has taught those of us who are students of it that it comes through, and what you should know is comes through walking with Him and always seeking to say, yes, Lord. So first, are you walking with Him daily? And are you willing to say to Him, yes, Lord? Or are you just being a little bit standoffish? Eh, I don't want it. <laughs> we need to be prepared to powerfully proclaim that the Lord is God. The second lesson challenges us to engage in making disciples. Disciple making changes cultures. Right? That is proclaiming the message, making disciples. One aspect of that is the kids that we have here. Are they growing in the Word of God? Are we all growing in the Word of God? Then are we willing to, 
challenge one another and are willing to proclaim the message of the gospel that they would turn to him first and then are we helping them to grow in the gospel? That will change the culture. We find that when we go back, immoral or evil leaders destroy nations, leaders of evil. Look at chapter 14, 9. Chapter 14, verse 9, back here in, in, in uh, 1 Kings 14, verse 9. You also have done more evil than all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and molten images and provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Here we find that Jeroboam had done great evil. Going back to him. And one statement about him was he was literally addicted to evil. And I want you to understand, most of the kings here were either just immorally squeezing by or they were very evil kings here in the first kings for the northern tribes of Israel. I want you to see that apathy eventually breeds rebellion. Continual rebellion. So we have Omri who steps onto the scene and we find Israel in a civil war. Omri's side wins over Tibni to become king for 12 years. King Omri is the worst, most evil king yet in 1 Kings 16.25. So we're finally getting to the point where Elijah is about to step on the stage and we have the most evil kings yet. Look at verse 25 of chapter 16. Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all who were before him. Then in 25 and, or 26... Um, Actually, I want to move on down to verse 30. We have his son who becomes king. And I imagine most of you know who his son is or you've heard about this man, King Ahab. Remember him? King Ahab steps upon the scene. Look at verse 30. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. There's this progression. It breeds re rebellion, right? A progression of even more re rebellious, more evil. You know, uh, in verse 34, in his days, heel of Bethlehite, built Jericho he laid so here's a note and for my Sunday school class we're getting about to Jericho where they destroyed Jericho the Sunday school class I filled in for and there was this curse placed upon it so this is a note we're like okay in all of this in verse 34 here's a note about the culture of this evil empires that keep happening and so there's more rebellion and just Take a notice of this. In his days, Hyle of Bethle Bethlehite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. 
So when they destroyed Jericho, God said, never build here again. If someone builds here again, they will lose their firstborn, and then he lost his second, his, his youngest. That's how rebellious they were. They had forgotten the past. They had moved on to something new. They were following their own ways. The kings were rebellious. The nation was rebellious. And so rebellion quickly explodes, and the culture is being destroyed. Rebellion quickly explodes cultures. And I want to briefly point out to to you, and and I'm losing time here, but we've talked about abortion a lot. It once was said that abortion was, and it was a necessary evil kind of. That's how they were playing it. It was safe, legal. They wanted it to be safe, legal, and rare, right? Those who wanted abortions to be legal. They said they wanted it to be safe because it's legal, but yet rare. Now it said, shout your abortion. And I just want you to understand, there is this fade that has occurred in our culture that at one time there was this talking about it and this, you know, trying to finagle away that, hey, it's okay that we have abortion in the United States. It's necessary. It's a necessary evil. Now there are those, and I'm not saying all of them are, but that there are some, if not many, who are proclaiming, shout your abortion. We have a right. And many of them are even saying, hey, it's a baby. They're not saying a fetus in this argument. And it's fascinating to see some of the, the actors or actresses who are going on, and they're not even trying to disguise that, hey, these are babies. They don't care. They think they have a right and should have a right to do whatever they want. If we stop this, then it may cause them to face consequences for things that they think they should be able to do because they like doing it. But it's not just on the shoulders of the women in our culture. Men have benefited immorally because of this. But this is just to point out that a nation that turns away from the Lord is headed down a path away from God and it will implode at some point. You know, there, there, are, all, there are ways to be involved in culture war that has moved over into the political sphere and it seems like it's all political now. And you may not be someone who wants to engage in that conversation openly. You may not want to be one that's, that has to think about that conversation But I want to challenge you that even if you're not engaged in those discussions, even if you're not wanting to think about or talk about it, that you understand the issues at hand, that you are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, because I believe there is a great opportunity, as we say in our title here, or our main challenge, that we would be powerfully ready to proclaim that the Lord is God. It's not that you would win an argument, it is that you would save lives. And it's not that you would save lives, just mere physical life, but that you would save a life for eternity. And so as we engage in this, and you say, I'm not going to engage. I don't really want it. Well, I'm going to challenge you that you never know. You may be getting gas at the gas pump. You may start a conversation with someone. And maybe that develops into a relationship where you're able to get into more 
some deeper conversations. You just never know. It may be a stranger, and you have an opportunity to talk about the great things the Lord has done. And it may be based upon some of the cultural issues that are immoral versus moral issues today. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You may not be looking for an argument, but you may have ability to have a discussion with someone. And so I challenge you to be ready by walking with the Lord. And now finally we are here to the main passage and the main verse at the, under the title of today's message. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And what I want you to see here, what I think we could say from this passage is that the Lord powerfully uses mature followers. Really, he uses any followers. But I want you to be prepared, so let's say mature followers, because you're walking with him. And when we look at this passage, we see Elijah who steps upon the scene. Where does he come from? The place he comes from is not insignificant And yes, the place is insignificant, okay? (laughs) Do you get me? Insignificance is not, and yet it is a place. It's a place where you are spiritually. You need to be mature in the Lord. Well, I'm taking this from the fact that he was from Gilead. Now we can say, well, Tishbi or the Tishbite, it means maybe he was a nomad or no, it means he was in an area where there was a lot of agriculture, there's a lot of shepherds. There was a town, Tishbi, Tishba, uh, according to Tobit, which is an intertestamental, we don't think it's an inspired text, but there's some historical things. Uh, one verse two, there is a town that, that is Tishba. But some say, well, it's, it's main, mainly a region in Gilead where he was a sojourner, but, but he wasn't really probably a sojourner, but just, that is, traveling all around the land. He may have been in a tent because they think he was probably a shepherd by this, okay? Regardless, it's an insignificant place, right? We're, we're in flyover country. Did you know that? People just fly over. We're not worth seeing but we are. And when I was a kid, I had a friend said, you know, I'm moving away when I grow up. Everybody moves away when they grow up because we're not significant in our location. But we are. Did you know that? It doesn't matter where you're from. God may use you powerfully for a culture war. Did you know that? God may use you powerfully to change a nation. God may use you like Billy Graham to step up and proclaim the wonderful grace of God. God may use you to create a revival in the land, no matter where you're from. It's insignificant when you don't follow the Lord. The location doesn't matter unless you're not following the Lord, if we're talking about spiritually. If you're spiritually in a bad place, that matters. 
physically, he could use you anywhere. The prophet came from a rough rural place, and probably, you know, with Elijah, we think like John the Baptist, the the clothes he wore kind of, and many prophets probably wore clothes like this because of Elijah set the standard. That's what they speculate, okay? So he had country clothing on. So if you can picture John the Baptist, they say that's when you can picture Elijah. But he steps onto the scene out of nowhere, not an insignificant person, a person who is following the Lord. And I just want to point out a couple more things, okay? We must walk with the Lord Jesus Christ to be prepared. Elijah means Yah is God. Why does he even need to say that? Why, why is, na- is his name Elijah? Yah is God. That is Yahweh, the Lord God of the Bible, is God. He is the only one, Ahab, the only one. And he is a living God, right? Look at this passage. As surely as the Lord, the, the God, Lord God lives. That is, God is there and he is not silent. And Ahab, you're going to find out. And then we also see, he says, whom I stand before. That is, Elijah walks and he knows that God is there and what he does matters and the Lord God is one to obey and therefore he's willing to serve the Lord. He's willing to stand before the Lord even before a powerful but evil king. Elijah loved God and he knew God and he walked with God. And so to, as we close here today, I want to challenge you that we must be, be, we must be prepared by walking with the Lord. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Do you? And are you walking with him? Do you know him? Do you know what the word of God says? That's where our principles, our values, who we are should come from, right? The Word of God. What we believe about issues should come from here. But also we know that good science validates, or the Bible validates good science. And the Bible points out when good science is used, the truth that every person is made in the image of God, even if they're in the womb. That is an individual. And so we can use good reasoning outside of the Word of God, but if it gets away from the Word of God, it's of no value, right? So do you know the Word of God? And the person or people or parties that we, in discussions that we get into Are we using the word of God to say, hey, you matter to the Lord too. You can find healing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for Elijah who stood in the gap. We ask that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to stand in the gap like Elijah did before he stood before a great and evil king. And so help us to know when to speak up when to remain remain silent, but when to speak up, that we would have the courage to do so. Lord, whether it's a cultural or political issue or whether it's with a friend who is turning slowly away from you, 
Help us to stand firm. And help us, Lord, as we walk with you to to be able to see areas in our lives that we would take preventative measures as like when we work on equipment to know what to fix in our lives. Please convict us of those. Show us those areas. Help us to be willing to, to deal with them and grow in you. So we are prepared to make a powerful impact upon our community, upon uh, those we come in contact with, and upon our culture. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. One passage I wanted to share with you was Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Would the young men come forward? And as they come forward, I'm going to read this, these verses, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Youngsters, would you come up and we'll get ready to take up this morning's offering? It says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. God uses us. Let's be used of God, willing to proclaim the message. Let's pray for the offering. Lord, we thank you for your provision. Um, Lord, uh, we pray that you would use uh, these things to glorify yourself. The, the giving today to glorify yourself and as we give that we would glorify you giving cheerfully we know you are a provider we thank you for your provision in jesus name